Mac Power Users, episode 321, Nerding Out with TJ Luoma. Hey everybody, it's David Sparks along with my pal Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? Hey David, I'm hanging in there, getting over a little bit of a head cold, so uh, try my best to stick in there with you guys. Got your Sade voice on. I, I know. I, I I get a little bit deeper yeah. sometimes. And yeah. Just say won't pretend really slow. Yeah. Or, you know, I I like it. Uh, Catherine Janeway has a very low voice in uh, Star Trek Voyager. I always like that about her. Yeah. Well, you should definitely pay attention to those um those hollow deck doctors. What was the name of that guy? Doctor. 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 He was like a hollow. What would they, what'd they that, call? That that was his big thing. Is he didn't have a name. And he was like in search of a name the whole episode. Yeah. Well, there you go. But hey, you know what? We got somebody with us today. So that'll help with Katie's cold. Welcome back to the show, TJ Luoma. How are you, Pastor TJ? <laughs> I'm great. It's wonderful to be invited back. Yeah, of course. Of course. TJ is um, was a guest in show 181. Um, TJ is one of my favorite nerds on the internet. I, I love it because he falls into little holes about <laughs> geeky things. And um and reports into us as well as some of the writing you do over Mac stories and some of the other places. Yeah, he's probably our most prolific feedbacker. Yeah, I, I know that if I get anything wrong, TJ will let me know, which is great. <laughs> I'm, I I'm sorry, that. I I I have a problem. I just can't help you, myself. No, you know what? Usually, That's what usually we're here Monday, for. Monday morning, there's something in my inbox. I'm like, huh, there we go. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that is what I love about you, TJ. And um and frankly, you know, you're my kind of nerd because you, you find this stuff and. And you, you do go down the deep hole and figure out what works. Uh, in addition to being a nerd, TJ is also a pastor. And um, so it's kind of fun talking to him about how he's combining those things. And you, you are not alone, as I'm sure you're aware. There are a lot of very tech savvy men of the cloth out there. And, and a lot of nerd pastors, yes, yeah, a lot of nerd pastors out there. A lot of nerd pastors all over the place. They, uh, we, we've sort of found each other, I think, in the last couple of years. Uh, I think we all thought we were the only ones for a long time. Yeah, I, I made the joke before on the show, but I'm really gonna, I'm gonna make good on this someday. We're gonna have a show, and it's gonna be called, you know, a priest, a pastor, a rabbi, and a monk walk into a bar, <laughs> and we're gonna have a bunch of different denominations with nerd pastors and we're going to just go through some of these workflows because you guys are doing some really cool stuff um but i was uh, in a restaurant a friend of mine was uh, visiting pittsburgh and we yeah. walked into a, a bar and he's a lawyer and, and i was a pastor and i said boy a pastor and a lawyer walked into a bar i said this is definitely the setup to some joke somewhere yeah it's it's coming <laughs> you know and when you're a lawyer you got to know them all because you know otherwise if you don't know the punchline they're going to nail you with it later yeah Okay, uh, TJ, um, we uh, looking at today's show, what we thought was there's so many things you've been writing on and covering lately. Um, we want to talk a little bit about backup and sync and contacts and a little bit about some of the work you do with your planning. But before we do that, this is going to set a record for Mac Power users, some of the oldest feedback in the history of the show. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, so one episode, we, one, we keep this stuff in Evernote, and it stays around forever. Yeah, in episode one eighty one, it's the ever in Evernote. There you yeah, go. In episode one eighty one, you were on the show, and um, you uh, stated uh, very clearly your opinion on iWork, and um, and the first thing you wrote to me when uh, we started playing this show was iWork still sucks. 
<laughs> yes, it does. And I'm filing it under complaints and grievances, and I'm going to keep banging this drum as long as nobody listens. It's still, pages cannot do some of these really rudimentary things. And when it first came out, people were like, you know, they did this whole big rewrite and they had to drop some features. It's okay. Just, you know, give them some time. It's been two years. Nothing has gotten yeah. better. I mean, they've done some incremental things, but it can't, it still can't do two up viewing. And come on, we can have two separate apps full screen on the iOS, on the OS now, on Mac OS and iOS. And we, and pages can't, still can't do two up. You can't do mail merge. It, it, it's terrible. I still use the old version. Okay. So let's talk about the word two up. But what you're talking about is in pages, it used to have the ability to show two pages at once. So when you're working, especially for layout, it was very handy to see how things would lay out. You'd have multiple pages on the screen. Um, that is something that, that we had with uh, pages 09 and we didn't get with the big update. The pages come out, I guess now two, maybe three years ago now. I forget when the big release was, but the um, now you cannot do that. You can see one page at a time. In Word, you can see like eight pages at a time. On my 27-inch monitor, sometimes I scroll down the size too much and I see way too many pages. Uh, but that is a that is a bone of contention for you and it's still bugging you. It, it it still it still irritates me because I like pages. I like pages a lot and it would be great to be able to use. And the only reason I really care about this is because I would like to be able to use. I'm now part of the uh, iPad Pro Club. All right. Uh, Good for I've you. Got, I've got Which same, one? 12, got 12 the, or 9.7? I've got the same the same size, Katie. We, okay, you and I are, okay. are right there together. I saw the, did I saw say, the did huge you say one. the same size? The I same did. size. Okay. <laughs> I saw okay. the other one. And so I was what, like, do you think about, what do you think about people who have two iPad Pros? If you think the same size is the 9.7 inch. You know, what I love about this was the argument that this is like having a desktop Mac and a laptop Mac. And I think David actually said, no, this is like having a 13 inch computer and a 15 inch computer, (laughs) 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 which was very true. And I was I was waiting for some other folks to uh, come clean to that. But, uh, yeah, I I will call it. I will call it. I mean, it's insane, but (laughs) I actually like it. So there you have it. Uh, if you have the means and, you know, you're providing for your family, uh, you know, I got more power to you. Yeah. The, um, so you got the smaller one. I will tell you that for big boy work, I find the bigger one makes a lot of it a lot more possible. So I, I do think that having the smaller iPad Pro, um, you're not getting the full experience. And, and that's OK as long as you know it. But um, like you well, would like. I- what I was going to say is I, I use, I do my preparation for like sermons and funerals, especially. Yeah. I do my preparation on a Mac, but when I'm actually officiating the service, I do it on my iPad, which was a little strange to get used to, but it's so much nicer to be able to scroll a PDF with my thumb than shuffle papers. And that makes, but, and that would make no sense at all with a 13 inch iPad. Right. People in the audience would be going, what the heck is that guy holding? I mean, <laughs> he's he's hold, he's holding a tray table, too. Yeah. Um, but when I use pages on my Mac, I'm using the old version and I'd like to be able to use the same version that the I'd, I'd like to be able to use a new version so I can have the same on the iOS and whatnot. But once I go to iOS, I've got to upgrade it. And we know that that's just kind of a, a big bucket of pain. Now, is the iPad Pro replacing a laptop for you, or is it an addition to a laptop? Uh, you uh, can you cannot pull my 12-inch Retina MacBook out of my cold, dead hand yeah. because I'm going to have it buried with me Okay, uh, on the off chance. So, so you've got one of the little mini Macs. I love my mini Mac. Yeah. It's my favorite computer ever. I'm using it right now. I love it forever. 
Now they came out with a recent update to the MacBook, and it's uh, it's a little bit fast. It's incrementally faster. I think the numbers I saw at the time were around fifteen to twenty percent increase, which is actually significant. But um, uh, do, are you feeling much pain with the Generation One MacBook in terms of speed? Not at all. And I'm I'm this is I'm, I'm almost as irritated about this as I am uh, with uh, Pages. Is people who used the the Mac the Retina MacBook for like a day or a couple of minutes in the shop and decided that they hated it and that it was underpowered? How many years did Mac users go hearing about Intel being so much better and PowerPC being you know the numbers being smaller? This computer is fantastic. It does everything I need. I'm not I'm not running Handbrake on it. You know I'm not converting video, but for everything else oh, I need to do, CD drive. Well, <laughs> that too. Uh, but uh, for everything else I need to do, it's fantastic. I've got that little connector that goes, does regular USB and yeah. HDMI, and I hardly ever use it. As a matter of fact, I, I almost lost it. Um, I did get a backup drive that has a USB-C connector. I got a little case off Amazon and an SSD, so I can do my backups, of course. But other than that, uh, I've got no, I've got no complaints. I love this computer. Yeah, I, I didn't because I used one too. I uh, admittedly, I don't use it as much anymore because I've fallen under the spell of the iPad Pro. But the, um, uh, I, I never felt like it was too slow. I, occasionally, when I had uh, multiple windows open, I do that four finger swipe between windows. You know, a lot of times on the the small MacBook, I would just have full screen on a lot of apps. And occasionally I would see a little bit of a stutter as I would, I would um, swipe between apps. And honestly, that is the only real experience I ever had of it being too slow. I mean, in me, the, the problem is always not how fast the computer works, but how fast can my mind work? How long does it take me to think of the next word? And absolutely. The, the computer can absolutely keep up with me. Um, it, it is a nice computer, and I think the newer one, I'm sure, is is incrementally nicer. And uh, I would not tell people not to buy it. It is funny though how much the community like rails against it, and and not even outside of the community, just kind of nerds in general are like angry about it. Well, I know Jason Snell isn't angry about it, but he he never seems to miss an opportunity to say how much he hates the keyboard, and and it hurts me a little time, uh, hurts me a little bit each time, and I don't know why, because <laughs> I know it's not personal, but every time he talks about how much he hates my computer keyboard, I I feel the need to reassure it that it's okay and it, it's a good computer. I had um I I am I am not um the least discriminating about keyboards i i'll type on just about anything and maybe that's a problem but it doesn't bother me uh, uh any any uh problems with that computer in the in your year of ownership no the only well the only problem i run into is actually because i've got an i've got something that's antiquated in my workflow uh, in that i need to deal with a a, a cdr every week of the worship service um, and trying to get a CDR onto, uh, you can use the super drive. Remember the old super drive that yeah. they had? Um, yeah. you can use that with the, the MacBook, uh, the retina MacBook, but it requires um, a few adapters. It does. It requires an adapter, but I, I've, I've worked out another system with an old iMac that I have instead in, and BitTorrent sync. Yeah. The, uh, it, I don't know. It's a pretty nice computer. I, I can tell you the one problem I had with mine was oddly enough, one of the, the keys stopped working. You know, so I, I just helped Jason's argument a little bit, but I brought it in. It was under warranty. They, they replaced it. And that was that. Okay. Um, 
but we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, you were telling us how much you dislike pages. And I was thinking, it's funny. I just don't have need for two up in pages. Um, and I'm not apologizing for pages. I, I, but I do find I, I use it quite a bit. Um, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me and Katie, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too, is really for word processing. A lot of people don't do word processing anymore. I mean, I guess as lawyers and pastors and people who produce uh, written documents, it's maybe more near and dear to our hearts than most. But um, I have a list of things that I like or love and hate about both word and pages. And there is no clear winner in my mind, but, I guess, TJ, you really don't do much work in Word, correct? I, I will use Word on occasion. Um, and as a matter of fact, I just got our church signed up for uh, Office 365 through their nonprofit program, uh, which if any other pastors are out there, you really ought to look into it. You can get things for a very cheap amount. Um, and our Windows computers, everybody else in the office uses Windows and um, we, we are getting to the point where we need to upgrade. So I'll use word. Um, the church secretary uses word. So we produce the, uh, bulletin and word and things like that. And of course, when people send me documents, they're usually in word. And, uh, I did my uh, doctoral thesis in word because I had to, and I survived that. Yeah. <laughs> it's about as much as That's I can say about say, it. Usually. <laughs> Boy, it, it's, it, there's been a real like cycle in, in the history of this show. I mean, there were, there were points at this show that I just would not boot word if i absolutely could avoid it but now it's warming up to me and they, they've really made a lot of progress in recent years but there's still you know there's just things like i feel like the way pages does search is better than the way word does and th th there's certain things about pages that are just i like better uh but then word has much better support for uh the, the truck changes i think works a little better and and frankly it's just everywhere so that that the ubiquity makes a difference Katie, are, are you like using one or the other at this point? I think last time what you reported in, you said word for work pages. For yeah, home. I'm using almost exclusively word really now for any type of word processing. What I'm really using pages for, though, is, is anytime I really want to make something look pretty. So if I'm doing an invoice or if I'm doing a brochure or, uh, you know, something, a flyer or uh, something like that, I, I'm using pages now, you know, really more for uh, desktop publishing type stuff. I mean, I've written, you know, very complicated, you know, company operating agreements that are, you know, sometimes 60 pages in, in pages with no problem. I mean, you can do big boy work in it. It's definitely there. Now, TJ, what do you need the two up for? What is that? Where is it that that gets under your skin? I, I use that when I'm basically what Katie was just saying, when I'm trying to make something that, that looks nice and I'm, I'm. I'm not particular about fonts or anything like that, but I do like the layout on the page to look nice. And, and uh, also with the the sermons, um, I there's a printed manuscript that goes out that for people who are, are shut-ins or uh, other people who've requested copies of them. And I just like them to look nice. And yeah. it's easier to get that flow correct with 2UP. Now, do you uh, do much work between um, iOS and Mac on pages? Because you're using Pages 2009 still, right? Yeah, and that's really that that keeps me from doing a lot of work on iOS. But you know, really with with the um, with the twelve inch MacBook, I do most of my work there. Uh, the thing I'm using my uh, MacBook Pro for, and actually the reason that I went for the I had an iPad Air two, and the reason that I went for the Pro was the Apple Pencil and marking up PDFs. It's just so so good. Oh man, yeah. 
That's so nice. Well, I want to try to move us along a little bit. Any final thoughts on pages? Because you've also got some other gripes that we need to talk about. Yeah, this is the arena <laughs> of grievances portion of our show. <laughs> Complaints and grievances section. Okay. No, I'm good. Okay. So also follow up in episode 306, not quite as as far, as far back, uh, we talked about contacts. And then the morning that the episode came back, I, I, I think you have figured out how to super secretly get our episodes before we publish them. Um, no comment. Yeah, you you wrote, a, and then David screwed you up a little bit because he changed the naming scheme, but you wrote a Mac Stories article uh, as a follow-up to our our uh, our podcast with a cautionary tale about contacts and backups, and, and we'll put a link to both the show and that Mac Stories article. So d- tell me what I need to know about contacts and how everything could go disastrously wrong. Well, it was funny. I was I did listen to that show as soon as it came out on Sunday nights. I'm, I'm waiting there. I actually have a do reminder at eight thirty that says go check for Mac Power users. So that's funny because uh, I have a do reminder at eight thirty that says publish Mac Power users. Bless that, you. That, that's where bless I got you, the, That's where I got my idea from. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I listened to that and I started to tweet. And then I started an email, and then I was like, wait, I can just post this on, on Mac Stories. And, and uh, I, I do want to mention that uh, that's new since I was here last time, too, by the way. Uh, Federico was nice enough to offer me uh, a shelter from the storm after uh, 2.0 went uh, the way of all flesh and uh, is no longer publishing. But yeah. uh, the thing with contacts um, was David really talked about groups, and I had run into this myself when I had – um, reinstalled and re- reinstalled my contacts from a vCard archive and found out that the group's information wasn't there and all my carefully, lovingly handcrafted groups were just obliterated. Yeah, that's bad news. Yeah, so I wanted to make sure that didn't happen to you, David. Yeah, and it's good that I was really pleased when I read the article. And, and let's just let's skip to the ending a little bit. You have found a good solution for backing up. You found a, a lot of ones that didn't work, but let's talk about the one that did work. Yeah, I can't even actually remember the name of it right off the top of my head, but I've got... It's called it, My Contacts Backup Pro. There you go. That was why the name wasn't flowing right off the tip of my tongue, but it just popped up yesterday when I was sitting in traffic and said, your contacts aren't backed up. Would you like to back up now? And I just pushed a couple of buttons and I backed up another copy and it syncs to Dropbox and I could email myself a copy. And it will uh, save your group's information, uh, which uh, the uh, built-in method won't. Uh, Unless you do a contacts archive, which is, again, if you want to restore from that, the the only problem is that it restores everything and it's going to wipe out your new information. So contacts is one of these things. It it doesn't seem like it should be complicated, but it can be. So that was the cautionary part of the tale. Well, the the interesting thing about that, we haven't stated it, but my contacts backup pro is not a Mac app. And you would think that's where something like this would be happening. You would think that, but it's an iOS app. So you, you, when you say you saw it in traffic, you probably got the note on your phone, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just sitting there and I've got my iPhone up on the, uh, the dashboard uh, mount and it just popped up the thing. And, uh, I was at a red light. So I, and, and literally in the time it took me sitting at a red light, I was able to back up my contacts. Okay. And so how does this solve your problem of re- restoring your groups? If you ever have things go, go down up to a bad place for you? Uh, it, it does, it will retain the contacts information in the way that it, it, uh, it saves the information. So you can restore it and get your groups back. Yes. Nice. 
And it's all of $2, gang. So we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my Contacts Backup Pro is something that, you know, I hadn't, uh, I wasn't aware of. You know, I guess I'm living a charmed life because I've never had any problems with contacts with iCloud. I mean, it just, it's just never, and my contacts database is large between the Max Sparky and the legal. And, you know, I collect contacts like, like nobody's business. Every time I get a new, you know, deal with a new attorney or whatever, I just capture their their contact information from the first email I received from them. So I've got this massive database of people I've worked with over the last 20 years. Uh, I'm surprised I haven't had a problem to tell you the truth, but uh, this is good. So I'm going to add this to the, to the workflow. Right now I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you have an answer and either one of you, but we've also gotten some feedback since that show that our beloved app that we talk about all the time, contact cleaner uh, appears to not be updated and uh, maybe going away. So are either of you using any alternative to Contacts Cleaner at this point? I am in deep denial about the fact that Contacts Cleaner may be abandonware, uh, but for the for the moment, it still seems to work, and so I'm I'm still using it until that's no longer the case. But uh, I'm just going to pretend now that you didn't say that. Yeah, it, All it, right. it definitely well, we'll- has a very you know the lickable icon, which indicates it's old. <laughs> and the um, the last update was February of 2015. Um, which doesn't make it ancient, but doesn't make it new either. Um, yeah, you know, I'll let's see if we can follow up with the developer. Maybe it's just one of those things where he only updates it when he needs to, when there's something that's breaking. It could be. And if any of our listeners out there uh, know of an alternative, that, that would be a good thing to know. Be a great thing um, for the live show. And and the last thing that I wanted to we wanted to follow up on is that we have notoriously referred to you as the yeah when we talk about people with bad internet like our our pal TJ he's got really really bad internet he's got a satellite connection there are those people out there um, and you would like to state definitively for the record now that you fixed that situation I came really really close to paying three thousand dollars for them to lay a fiber cable uh, not a fiber cable fiber line to our house and then found out that my neighbor had a microwave connection which is pretty much the equivalent of a DSL connection. In fact, the upload rate is better than the DSL connection I can get at my office. And I now have decent internet. And most importantly, with a 14-year-old son who has discovered YouTube, I no longer have a monthly quota. Pause for applause. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> teenage children and bandwidth are two things that every parent probably knows about or is going to learn about at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, we 20 are- gigabytes a month. I just want to reiterate that. It was 20 gigabytes, 20 gigabytes per month for a hundred dollars. Wow. Wow. Well, we are going to pause for applause uh, and also for a quick sponsor break. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute to talk about backup and sync and a whole bunch of other stuff. I want to welcome back to Mac Power users, our good friends over at FreshBooks. And I love FreshBooks because they are on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their businesses. And it all starts with pain-free invoicing. Now, invoicing is one of the most important things that you can do for your business, but normally it's kind of a pain. And FreshBooks has created a super intuitive way that makes creating and sending invoices so simple. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send an invoice. You can add your company logo. You can make it look very professional. This is one of the impressions that people will get of your business over and over and over again. And that will give your clients tons of way to pay you. 
You can receive payments by credit card. You can integrate with services like PayPal. And that can really improve the ways that you get paid. In fact, FreshBooks has done studies and they say that their customers get paid five days faster on average. And you can even see things like whether or not your client has looked at an invoice. So you don't get all these excuses of, oh, you know, I lost that invoice. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Maybe I didn't get it anymore. Clients can also set up automatic late payments reminders too when they use FreshBooks. So if a client doesn't pay you timely, you don't have to be the bad guy and send out all those notices and say, gosh, well, should I send it? Should I know? FreshBooks is just going to take care of that for you. And that's just with invoicing. FreshBooks has so many other features to help you stay organized, like things like being able to keep track of your expenses. You got that shoebox full of receipts. FreshBooks is going to help you take care of that. And if you're in the United States, you can automatically import your bank transactions for easy recognition. They've recently revamped their mobile app and it's going to let you take photos of your receipts and FreshBooks is going to organize them for you so you don't have to deal with that. You can even create an expense report using FreshBooks. It's going to just take care of that for you and it's going to make claiming expenses at tax time a breeze. They have great reports that can easily show you who owes you what, tons of third-party applications that they integrate with, Time tracking to help you send better invoices and amazing supports, which is really the core of FreshBooks. They really believe in it. There's no phone tree. You call them, someone is going to pick up the phone and talk to you. Getting started on FreshBooks is extremely simple. You don't have to be a numbers push person. And they're even going to give you a 30-day free trial for listeners of the show with no credit card required. So to get started with that, just go to freshbooks.com slash MPU, enter the Mac power users as in the how you heard about us section. So FreshBooks came, uh, know that you came from us. So thanks so much to FreshBooks uh, for their continued support of the show. And remember, freshbooks.com slash MPU. Thanks, guys. So we did a, a backup show recently, and we talked about ARC, and I felt like we did, we did it justice. We had a lot of listeners write in that are, are big ARC users, but we have not had, and ARC is ARQ, by the way, we have not had anybody on the show that's actually using ARC every day. And uh, I was really happy to read that, that TJ, you're, you know, you're rolling your own online backup through ARC. Uh, take a minute to kind of walk us through that and, and explain why you did that instead of one of the, you know, Backblaze or one of the other, you know, pay as you go monthly services. Well, of course, I'm, I'm laughing because uh on my Mac Mini Colo machine, I'm backing it up with, uh, I've got a, a clone that runs every night. I'm running Arc and I'm running uh, Backblaze because yeah. well, and, you can and never we have should talk. We should talk a minute too about your Mac Mini Colo machine because a lot of people are going to be like, well, what is that and why, do, why don't I have one of those? Oh, well, they should have one of those. But um, as far as Arc goes, one of the things that uh, I, I was looking for a replacement for um, not time machine, but time capsule. Again, this goes back to the using the retina MacBook yeah. and not wanting to have to plug in a drive to do time machine. And I'm actually using the drive from a time capsule that I'm backing up to with arc because it seems to be more reliable. I like the user interface a lot more and it just gives me another option, another, another leg. So I've, I've replaced one of my legs of my, uh, my backup table. And Arc, if you didn't listen to the backup show, is a third-party software solution that allows you to backup data basically over the internet to a source of your choice. And when we talked about it on the show, we talked about how some people use it with Google Drive and some people use it with Amazon. And, and in TJ's case, he's backing it up to his Mac Mini Colo. And just take a minute to explain to us what that means. Well, there's two things. The, the new version 5 added a very important feature, which is that you can back up to a local 
drive. You can back up to a Synology or a Drobo uh, or just another drive that's mounted on another Mac in your house. So yeah. that's what, actually what I'm doing for for one of my local backups, which, of course, then I can back up everything and I don't have to worry about upload spe- space. Yeah. Wait, let me make sure I, I understand you with that. Yes. Are you telling me that, that you know, because we talked about how CrashPlan had the feature where you didn't necessarily have to buy their cloud yes. storage, where you could back up to another, a friend's house, a friend's server, a computer at your, you know, if your kid was away at college, your kid could back up to your computer back at home. And yeah, you'd have to take the bandwidth hit, but you wouldn't have to pay for a cloud storage account. Can, can Arc do something similar to that? Absolutely. I have. Oh, okay. I gave my mother an old MacBook and her MacBook backs up to my Mac Mini Colo machine. Uh, you can back up to any FTP server, uh, as well as Amazon and pretty much any cloud service that's out there, Arc supports. But you can back up, you can absolutely back up to your own machine, which means that once you've paid the $50 price, and that $50 price is now per user rather than per machine, which means that you can use it on every single Mac you own. And it's also on Windows. And the same license works for Windows and for Mac. So this is a great application people really need to know more about. Yeah, And, and um, the, the knock against it has always been, boy, it's kind of nerdy to try and set up your own. I mean, online backup is hard enough. Um, is it something a user really wants to start fiddling with? How, how difficult is it to get rolling if you if you give Arc a try? For anyone who's listening to Mac Power users, it's going to be it's very easy. You need to tell it where you want to back it up to. If you're backing it up to like Amazon S3, you need to give it your keys. If you're backing up to a, your own server, you need to give it your login information and a path. It took five minutes. Yeah, I, I mean I, it's it's very easy. I played with it a little bit. I think it was back when I was writing one of the books and. My impression of it is it's about the same difficulty as something like Chronosync. You pick a source, you pick a destination. Yeah, that's a good analogy. And 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 frankly, you pick and, and you can get pretty granular with the files that you're backing up. But the thing that that's newsworthy about this for our listeners is that the destination list has been growing. You know, when it first started, it really was kind of limited to certain backup, you know, online solutions. Now. You can back up to a separate drive in your house or even, you know, a friend's computer. It's 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 really come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. So you're happy with it, but you're doing belt and suspenders, you know, backblaze plus arc. Well, for my Mac Mini Colo, uh, which is a, um, let me pause and explain for anyone who might not know, which is a Mac Mini that is co-located, which means that there's a company out in Las Vegas that has huge internet pipes, and they have a Mac Mini that only I get to use and it has huge bandwidth. So I back up to that computer and then I back that computer up multiple times to multiple places to make sure that everything gets an extra layer of, so it's belt suspenders and another pair of suspenders. I don't know what you do after belt and suspenders. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Mac mini Colo will basically take a Mac mini that you own and host it for you at their data center. So you can ship them your Mac mini, I believe. Or you can basically buy or rent a Mac Mini from them, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I actually bought one from them. And then you can, if you obviously, if you have yours, it's configured as you bought it. And then they have a couple of configurations. So it sounds like you picked one that had a, a fair amount of hard drive space. Yeah, it's got two internal drives. So I've got um, plenty of internal hard drive space. <laughs> and one, you know, it, it was very sad, but one of my hard drives died. But it, the good news was I replaced it with a one terabyte SSD. And man, does that thing fly now. 
And now, uh, now, how does that work? Because Mac Mini Colo, I mean, I'd have to look, but I mean, they're they're not located where you are. They're no. probably have multiple <laughs> places across the country. So, how do you replace the hard drive at Mac Mini Colo with an SSD? Uh, I emailed uh, them and I said uh, they have an address that you can ship things to. I actually have an Amazon saved uh, location now. I sent them a drive (laughs) directly from Amazon. And I think for some minimal amount of money, they uh, replaced the hard drive for me. And I was literally down. I, I think my downtime was like five minutes because they do this all the time. So they popped yeah, it they're open. Yeah, pretty fast about it. They put the drive in. It was back. It was back up. As a matter of fact, it was. It was the drive was installed before I got the notification from Amazon that the drive had been delivered. Yeah. yeah, I replaced the hard drive in my Mac Mini, and in addition to ripping out the RF cable, which thank goodness that was the only thing that I did wrong, it took me about forty-five minutes. So yeah, they're probably better at this than than we are. Now, they're, they're superhumans. So let's talk about just the Mac Mini Colo in general. I, we've talked about people putting together home servers, you know, having a home server at their home. Usually it's a Mac Mini in a closet somewhere. Um, what is the advantages and disadvantages in your mind of using a co-located Mac Mini versus putting a server in your home? Well, of course, I have a server in my home. Of course you do. <laughs> my graduation present for myself was a Mac Mini. But yeah. uh, for, for me, I wanted to get rid of – I had a, a site that I used, um, uh, a shared hosting that I used for websites. And it was a Linux server, and it was fine. But there were enough little differences between Linux and, and Mac OS ten that it it bothered me, and it was irritating. And I couldn't use Hazel. I couldn't use, you know, Dropbox. Well, I probably could have if I could figure out how, but then I would have had to figure out how to use Dropbox on Linux and all these other things. And really the the bandwidth is, I mean, I've got a I've got my uh some of my Plex files on my Mac Mini Colo so that if I'm traveling somewhere, like if I'm out anywhere, I can watch some of my own stuff from my Plex server that's on my Mac Mini Colo and not kill my bandwidth at home. Yeah, well, I mean, and that for you, especially back when you had bandwidth issues, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. But, That's but, when I started it. But of course, you've got to still get the data up there somehow, which is going to use some bandwidth. But uh, I, I think it's That's an interesting... That's what he comes over to your house for. When you see when you see a car sitting in your driveway, David, yeah. on TJ the Wi-Fi. There with the yeah, dark glasses and a hat on. <laughs> that explains it. But the um, I, I do think, it, it. I guess the question for me is, what types of people should be thinking about doing something like a Mac mini Colo? Cause like I, I have friends that use it, that host their own websites there. And like, if you're getting into the publishing business and you want to really control your own website and not, like not do one of these hosted services and you're like, Oh, I want to do roll up my own Mac mini Colo makes sense to me. Um, uh, maybe for an offsite backup, um, resource that makes sense too, but that's quite expensive. What did it, what's the monthly fee for, uh, for keeping the device there if you send them your own Mac. Starts at about 35. Yeah. I mean, it, it's when I, when I started looking at the various things that I could stop paying for, it was actually very good close. And the convenience of being able to screen share in on my Mac and use another Mac was definitely worth the difference in price. Um, mm. Because I was paying, like I said, I was paying for that shared hosting, which wasn't very good, wasn't very reliable and certainly wasn't an SSD. So, you know, everything was kind of slow and clunky and every now and again, you know, their hard drive would fill up or their service would go down. Um, I've got Pingdom checking my um, account at 
uh, Mac Mini Colo, and I've got 99.9 uptime for any for any month where I personally haven't screwed something up. Uh, my uptime has been fantastic with that, and it's just so much more convenient. Um, I think anybody who's got a home server could probably do that same home server with uh, Mac Mini Colo, and if you can swing the expense, it would probably be a better experience. Other than the fact that you know you've got to get your materials up to them in the first place, but you could ship you know your Mac Mini. You could put all the stuff on on your Mac Mini and then ship it to them. Yeah, you can configure it. Like if you want Hazel running on the internet for you, that's a good example. I think if you wanted like Apple Mail quality rules, you know, which you don't really get with most of the online services, you could back- run spam uh, spam sieve spam sieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would be running 24 seven for you, which is kind of nice. Um, I, I, it's really kind of hard for me to, to make the case for it, but I know there, there'll be some listeners curious and it's to me, I don't do it, but you know, I think the, the tipping point is just how f- far down the automation rabbit hole have you gone? Um, uh, how you know, I'm, I'm thinking for some small businesses who don't want a server in house this, you know, for 35 bucks a month, it could be a viable option, you know, for, for backup and, and other things like that, they could, you know, back up their, their local machines to it or, or other thing, you know, I mean, obviously there are other, other solutions, but yeah. And I would guess that their business is much more focused probably on businesses than on Mm -hmm. individual users, but the, um, but the, uh, but, but an online based server, if you can store data on the cloud, depending on what kind of business you're in, uh, it certainly starts to seem like a, a practical solution at that point. Yeah, and, and I know TJ, you use BitTorrent Sync quite a bit, kind of as, as an alternative. Well, and and we've talked about you know the transporter, which we loved as a and and do love. I still use mine as a product, and we use it frequently in the Mac Power users workflow. But I got to tell you, I'm I'm getting nervous about it, and a lot of the Mac Power users listeners have written us about this too. I, I'm thinking with a solution like BitTorrent Sync, which I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about, it could potentially be an alternative too. Yeah, I, I think BitTorrent Sync is basically the software equivalent of your transporter, um, which, you know, I, I know listeners are probably familiar with. But and that, David, is another part. Oh, don't don't of, assume people are familiar with it. Tell, give, give us okay. a little overview of what All it right, is. Well, um, so BitTorrent Sync. Well, the, the you mean the transporter or BitTorrent Sync? A BitTorrent Sync. OK, well, for BitTorrent Sync is basically a, a your own Dropbox without the cloud part. So if you want to sync files between computers, if you want to sync uh, settings, if you want to sync any, anything, basically, you can sync folders on a much more granular level. And this is the thing that usually gets people's attention. Uh, most of us, I think, store a lot of temporary files on our desktops. But if you use more than one computer, how do you, you know, oh, well, you know, <laughs> which computer did I leave that for temporary storage on my desktop? Well, with BitTorrent Sync, you can actually sync whatever folder you want, wherever it already is. So you can sync your desktop folders to all of your Macs. You can sync your downloads folder to all of your Macs. You could even sync your documents folder to all of your Macs. And that way you're not having to put everything into a new file or a new folder rather to, uh, in order to make it sync, you can do whatever you want. You can pause individual folders from syncing. If you've got something, you know, I've got a couple of ones that I use for video, but sometimes I pause those in order to make it, you know, make everything else sync faster because bandwidth is still, there's always a limit on bandwidth. Um, 
And for me, it's just a great solution. Uh, one of the new features they just added, I think fairly recently, was something called encrypted folders. So I've got a folder on my computer that looks just like a normal folder that I sync to my Mac Mini Colo again. But on Mac Mini Colo side, the names are encrypted and the contents are encrypted. So say the uh, uh, FBI decides to raid Mac Mini Colo someday and wants my precious, precious files, uh, those that are in that encrypted folder are going to be very difficult for them to access. Okay, now how encrypted are they? Is it just that the names are different or are they actually encrypted? No, the names are encrypted and the contents are encrypted. Yeah. Yeah. And that is frankly something we didn't raise earlier with a Mac mini Colo. Um, you are putting your data somewhere else in the world, which is always a little bit risky in terms of privacy and protection of data. But you know, it's funny, bit, getting back to BitTorrent sync, BitTorrent has always been such a dirty word. Right. Um, people are, you know, hesitant to do anything with the word BitTorrent attached to it. Cause I think that's going to download a bunch of, you know, ransomware and all this other stuff. The underlying BitTorrent technology is great. I mean, it's, I mean, when you understand it, and I, I think I have a, a fairly shallow understanding of it, but just the way it pulls from multiple places and does basically multiple threaded um, so moving of software and data, it's much more efficient and fast than the old way. And um, this is a, a completely legitimate use of the technology. So don't be put off by the inclusion of the word BitTorrent. Absolutely. Yeah. BitTorrent is just a protocol. Yeah. The, um, okay. So between Arc and BitTorrent Sync, you've got your data jumping around all over the place. Now, the fact that you're a bit turning into a bit of an iPad user, an iOS user, does that concern you in terms of your backups or is everything working within the same system? Yeah, backing up the iPad, backing up iOS devices in general is still not as good. Even if you do a local backup to iTunes, it still doesn't back up and restore as much as I wish it would. Um, yeah, the last couple of times I've done encrypted backups to iTunes specifically for the purpose of not having to restore everything, I've still had to go in and type in a bunch of stuff. I'm like, oh, what is this? It's I, it's one of these things. It doesn't seem like Apple's really even even testing it, but I I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I, I was just talking to a friend recently, got a call, um, and she was complaining about, you know, I'm getting this message about I'm out of data, and it, you know, it was her photos. She had a photo storage thing, and it, it really does kind of burn me a little bit that, what is it, five gigabytes that you get now for storage? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like they did such a, it's like with the photo storage and photo backup, they took the ball so far forward over where it had been before for anybody. I mean, now with this cloud-based, you know, I photos in the cloud or was it iCloud photo storage? It's just so convenient and so nice. And why on earth doesn't a company with something like two hundred billion in the bank just say, okay, if you buy one of our super expensive phones, we're just going to back up your photos? I mean, why don't they do that? Uh, for the same reason that they don't kill the 16 gigabyte iPhone, yeah, I, I I, it's yeah. money at the, but I, I can't imagine that this is a good system for them because every, every time this comes up, somebody will mention, you know, every time they're at an Apple store and somebody will say, you know, my phone died and all my pictures are on there and I don't yeah. have a backup and that's, that's irreplaceable. Yeah. 
Yeah. If they ever say, hey, Dave, you can take over for Tim. I'm telling you, that's the first thing I'm going to change. Backups for <laughs> I, everybody. You get a backup and you get a backup. I'd, I'd vote for you. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, I still need to pay the bills since I haven't got that gig yet. So why don't we just take a quick moment to uh, talk about another sponsor and then let's talk some keyboard maestro. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Gemini 2 from MacPaw. Gemini 2 is the ultimate solution to remove duplicate files from your Mac, and you can get 30% off by going to macpaw.com MPU. There are millions of files on your Mac, and most new Macs come with solid-state drives that are low on space. This makes removing duplicates an important priority. However, you don't have time to go through and look at all the files on your Mac to figure out where the duplicates are. Who has time for that? You can have Gemini 2 from MacPaw do the job for you. Gemini 2 doesn't just find duplicates, it also finds similar files, like songs and pictures that are almost identical. The thing that I love most about Gemini 2 is how smart it's become. For instance, if you go to a family gathering and take 10 pictures of the same place, you probably don't need all of those. Gemini 2 can find the 10 pictures for you and show them to you, so you can delete the ones you don't want to keep. And this works with your photos library on your Mac. It does the same thing in iTunes. We've all got that song that we like to play on repeat over and over again, but that doesn't mean you need seven copies of it. If you've got multiple copies of the same song in your iTunes library, Gemini 2 will go through and clean it up for you. Gemini can also tell the difference between originals and copies and which files to keep intact. The program's algorithm learns from your own behavior. It remembers the files you delete and the ones you keep, and in the future, it uses that as a sort of training. I guess my point is that it's really smart, but at the same time gives you a simple interface that doesn't take a lot of your time. The first time I ran this application, with just a few clicks, I saved gigabytes on my SSD. And trust me, I needed it. And best of all, nothing's deleted for good until you say so. Gemini moves duplicates to the trash and lets you bring them back in just a click. You get to make the decision whether you keep them, stash them, or delete them for good. The gang at MacPaw knows how to deliver a beautiful-looking Mac app, and they bring the goods with Gemini 2. This new version is really nice-looking and really easy to use. I love it when a sponsor brings a new product to our show, and we get to find out how awesome it is, and this is definitely one of those. I'm a user for life of this. You should be, too. Head over to MacPaw.com MPU and check it out today. And thank you so much to MacPaw for your support of the Mac Power users and Relay FM. So Keyboard Maestro is something that we've talked about all pretty regularly on Mac Power users. It's kind of in our trifecta of, of automation, you know, Text Expander, Hazel, Keyboard Maestro. And it's it's escalating. You know, you start with something like Text Expander, you move up to Hazel. For, Hazel 4.0, by the way, is a pretty awesome update. Uh, and then when you're ready to to dig into it, you go into to Keyboard Maestro. And I know that you've done uh, quite a bit with, with Keyboard Maestro lately. Uh, you got any any fun stuff going on with Keyboard Maestro now? Well, I just have to say that Keyboard Maestro, I loathe web forums, but Keyboard Maestro has an awesome, awesome web forum that people ought to be, and I think it's just forum or forums.keyboardmaestro.com. The developers there, there are a bunch of cool um, users there who are sharing macros and sharing. So if people are looking for a way in, and I think that's always the the, the trickiest way to um to get started on things is figuring out, well, what can I do with this? That's a great place to, to go in and check things out. Um, you know, I was, I was looking at this before, um, 
we started and I realized that some of the, the ones I use most often were actually ones that I talked about when I was here before, but um, they're just still plugging along. I've got, you know, things that auto save for uh, Microsoft Word, which I do use. Um, I've got some that I, I do things for, um, you know, starting shell scripts and keeping shell scripts going. I, I've moved some of my text expander things into that where it made sense to, although I'm still keeping you know, text expander and I'm I actually even signed up for text expander six once they uh, uh, changed their pricing on that. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was convinced, you know, I, I think it was one of those things that it was a good idea that was pretty high priced. Um, and, but once I saw the new price come down and, and I, I tried, I downloaded the demo and I really like the the way that the new app looks, and uh, I'm I'm want to support the company, so I I signed up. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's a good app. I mean, but but on keyboard maestro, the um I feel like it to me it's the tool I take out when I'm at wit's end. It's like okay, I'm tired of doing this solving this little problem, and I can brute force my way through almost anything with keyboard maestro. It's like the infinite Lego box where. Whatever, whatever piece I need, they've got there. And and not always is it the most elegant. Like, for instance, t- uh, text expansion for me, text expander is like way better. I mean, and just but I know that, you know, Dr. Drang and a couple of the people out there have can make the argument. But but uh, but for a lot of things, like even like placing the mouse in a certain location and clicking a button, occasionally I run into something where I have to do that and I'm not going to do it repeatedly. I can whip up a keyboard maestro script. I'm. Uh, the interaction with, you know, devices that you plug in and making things happen. Like I, I used to have a keyboard maestro script and I probably should re- resurrect it for what I do at home now. But uh, when I got to work, it would detect the Wi-Fi and do different setups for me, depending on what, where I was sitting and I would have different apps available to me. I just laughed. I just laughed because you just reminded me of something that I do, which is, is the maybe the lowest tech uh, keyboard maestro thing that I do, but uh, our office is open every day uh, during the week from nine to one. And at one o'clock, I've got a little thing that pops up and says, have you had lunch? Because you should have lunch. Yeah. Because what will happen is I'll get into something and then it'll be three o'clock and I haven't eaten anything. And then I turn kind of unpleasant. Um, but there, you know, there again, but it only does that if I'm at, if I'm on my work Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, um, it, so the, the, the keyboard maestro rule generally is saying, uh, is TJ at work, you know, and it's determining that by looking at your Wi-Fi, you know, is he connected to the church's Wi-Fi? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is it 1 p.m.? Yes, it is 1 p.m. Then send the message. I mean, it's a very simple rule. And yeah, and, I mean, and, it, it's comically simple, but that's that, but it works and it's a handy thing. Um, I've got one that tells me uh, when my Wi-Fi disconnects, it will pop up a notification. I think that's a new one in, in version seven that came out Um maybe five or six months ago now, but uh, anytime the, the Wi-Fi disconnects, because, you know, how many times has it happened that you've been on your Wi-Fi and then all of a sudden you realize that you're not on it anymore and you thought you were on it? Um, that'll pop up. But I'll tell you, still my favorite uh, keyboard maestro is, is the one that, and I know I mentioned this before, but it's it's a thing of beauty because, like you said, David, you know, I could power through this. This coming week is Pentecost. It's a huge week in the church's liturgical cycle. Every Monday morning, I sit down and I go to the site that has articles that are in PDFs. And the only way for me to save these PDFs is either to do this incredibly tedious process, or I can email them to myself. 
but even emailing them to myself is tedious. Yeah. I now have a macro that will click on the email button, type the email address correctly without putting any typos in it, that copies the title of the web page into the subject field, emails it, clicks the send button, and clicks the, hey, the send worked button. Yeah. There were there were 61 articles for this week. Most weeks have like five or 10. There were yeah. 61 of these things this week. And I just sat there and watched this thing, gyre, you know, just turn for a couple of minutes on this. And it's doing it at super speed, way faster than I could ever do with no mistakes. Yeah. And it, it, it takes a few minutes to set it up. But once you do this on a couple, a couple times, even the, the brute force, you know, macro, once you have an understanding of it, it's great. It, what it does is, in my feeling, is it turns normal people into software developers. It's like if you had a problem that said, man, wouldn't it be great if someone could write an app that could go through my Pentecostal websites and save every PDF for me? You know, I, if I could, just, if I had Steve Jobs money, I'm going to say I'm going to hire some guy or Tim Cook money to hire some guy to just make this app for me. Guess what? You can do that yourself with something like Keyboard Maestro. I, I've been talking a lot about iOS because I'm really getting into it and having a great time with it. But I'll tell you, the the app I miss the most, and, and this is uh, without a doubt, the app I miss the most when I'm when I'm out of the out of the office and using the iPad on the road is is Keyboard Maestro. Yeah, I've got a pretty simple one that I think was inspired by you, TJ, when you you came on the show last time, because I had a huge problem with Microsoft Word not responding, and I would lose whatever work because it doesn't have an autosave feature. And I would lose whatever work I had done since the last time I had hit save. So the the keyboard maestro is really, really simple. It's if Word is the frontmost app, uh, then every couple of minutes, file save app. File Amanda save. S. File save. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, I mean... that That's super handy. Yeah. So you basically added a feature to Microsoft Word without a lick of programming. Right. And, and I think your comment, David, about it, it making, you know, turning it into a soft software programmer is, is pretty good. That's, uh, um, you know, that that's pretty accurate to be able to add a feature to a piece of software that, you know, you could do this yourself. But are you going to remember to hit save every time? Do you want to have to remember to hit save every time because that's going to break your train of thought? No. Yeah, it's great stuff. So so we've done whole shows on Keyboard Maestro. We'll come back to it again. I mean, probably next update or whatever, but it is a, um, if you're out there and you've always said, well, maybe I should try it. You should try it. I mean, he has a free, uh, it's, it's another one of these apps made by a very loving, devoted developer. I think it's just, was it Keith? Uh, I forget his first name, but the, um, Peter, Peter, yes, Peter. And, um, Keith is Scrivener. Sorry. <laughs> but, but Peter, I think is the only guy that works on it. And all he does is, he makes it awesome. He re- puts a new release out. Then he comes up with another like dream list of awesome, awesome features. Like tell me when the Wi-Fi disconnects and he just keeps adding on to it. And over the years it's turned into this thing that is beautiful, beautifully nerdy. Title. So what other cool, yeah. <laughs> what other cool apps are you using these days? Well, there's a really cool one. Um, well, <laughs> it, it's, uh, when we're looking at things like uh, malware on the Mac, uh, you know, we, we had a, a pretty good threat there. I don't think many people were bitten by it, but uh, I know you've talked about it with um, a malware that would encrypt your hard drive. And there's an app that's in beta right now called Block Block. 
It's not the most creative name, but what it does is it alerts you anytime that something tries to add itself into your startup items. And Uh, this is by the same guy who makes ransomware. Yeah. Ransomware, W-H-E-R-E. With an H, yeah. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. You you mentioned this on the previous show, and I wanted to make sure that I I got the spelling of this right. (laughs) Because I know it's not ransomware like I'm thinking it is. So how do you spell it? Ransom and then where, W-H-E-R-E. Like, where is the ransomware? Ah, okay. Now I got you. But I I, but yeah. I got you off on a tangent. What does block block do? I, but uh, so, just so, one question: Why, if you're going to do two blocks, why wouldn't you just do three? Just go block 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 block. Yeah. Then I think you're a Muppets. Then character. someone says goops. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, you're getting sassy. I, I've had a little cough syrup today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I just had to mute myself because I laughed myself into a coughing fit. Thanks, Katie. Uh, but yeah, it's so it's going to alert you anytime something wants to start up every time you start your computer. And most of the time, this is going to be completely innocuous. And so, you know, you're going to have to, you know, don't be chicken little about this. But if you're sitting there on your Mac and all of a sudden something pops up and you haven't done anything to, you know, to, to justify that, uh, it will give you an option to either accept or block um, that process from being added to your startup items. So that was so, a cool little thing I haven't heard much about. You know, what I like about that is you know, little snitch is the one we haven't talked about in a while on the show. Yeah, it's kind of like a light, lightweight little snitch. Exactly, the little snitch monitors outgoing traffic, and and it can become crazy if you you know, especially when you first install it, because basically everything on your computer is always phoning somewhere for you. But the um, but this is a little bit you know less intrusive in terms of you know trouble, but it still gives you some protection. And that's in beta. Okay. Well, we'll send everybody yes. over there. Yeah. Well, block, block, beta. Why not? Well, that's why there's not three blocks in, because block, 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 beta would just be ridiculous. There you go. Um, the uh, Also, there's an app you talked about, and I believe a text bar is one that I think we first, heard, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but I know Brett Terpstra was really into text bar for a while. Um, yeah, I talk, use that a lot. Talk to us about that. I was looking for this application for about four years before I before I finally found one. And all I wanted to do, it sounds so simple. I wanted to be able to put my own text into my menu bar. So what do I use this for? Well, I've got my own clock and calendar in the format that I wanted it to go. I've got the uh, amount of hard drive space that I've got available um, available there. When I wrote a, a pretty complicated script that tells me any time that there's a live show on Relay FM uh, and pops up a, a, an alert there as well. Um, anything you want, if you've ever wanted to put any sort of text in your menu bar, that's again for anyone who's who's a budding Mac Power user up at the top right of your your screen there, all those little apps. Um, you can now put the output of any script uh, into the menu bar there. And you can actually control some actions from it depending on what you click on. The developer is uh, Rich. I can't remember his last name, but he's super responsive. Uh, is very handy for you know helping you figure out how to do things with it. If if you've got something you want to do and and tell him what it is, he can either help you do it or he may already have a solution because he's got a bunch of them written already. Hey, you know, I was just thinking. Um your little script that you do, your simple script and keyboard maestro to tell you to make sure to eat lunch. Uh, keyboard maestro could stick out a shell script. You could actually probably have keyboard maestro drive it right up to your text bar. 
Yeah, that's true. I could. I could definitely do that. Well, get on that, man. What are you waiting for? <laughs> you could have it like flash, like hot donuts now up yeah. at the top of your text, at the I, top I, of your menu bar. We can, we occasionally, we come across the idea of uh, scripting on the show. We don't talk about it too much because it's very difficult to describe how to script your computer on an audio podcast. It's really a screencast kind of thing. Uh, but one thing I would say to the listeners, if you've been listening to us talk about this stuff, um, I'll tell you that I am not at all a JavaScript wizard or really scripting of any sort. I, I, I pretend to know Apple script, but I always, because of the nature of Apple script, nobody really knows it. Um, and the, um, <laughs> that's, that's exactly well, true. Sal does. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, it depends on which app, right. But the, um, but the thing that's out there, if you want to get into this stuff and this works, the scripting is stuff you can insert into, into text expander, into keyboard maestro. A lot of our favorite automation apps give this window to you and scripting basically opens up the whole computer. You can do almost anything. Uh, and my advice would be every time I want to do something unique, I search it out on the internet and somebody has published it. Hopefully it's somebody that's reliable. I mean, you don't want to install scripts from random people on your computer. It may cause trouble, but People like TJ and people like Brett Terpstra quite often have published already some very useful scripts. So don't be pushed, you know, put off by that. You don't have to learn the scripting language yourself. You can gladly, you know, write on somebody else's back with that stuff. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what, why don't we take, cause I know the next couple topics are going to take some time. Why don't we take a quick break and then we'll get back and talk a little bit about passwords. This episode of MacPower Users brought to you by Gazelle, the online marketplace for buying and selling used gadgets, where you can shop from a variety of certified pre-owned electronics or trade in ones for cash and give life to a used device. You can visit gazelle.com today for more information. For years, we've told you about Gazelle. It's the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. You can trade in an old device for cash, buy a certified pre-owned new one, or do both. For trade-ins, simply visit gazelle.com, find your device, get an instant quote, and shipping is free and payment is fast. If you're looking to buy a certified pre-owned device, Gazelle has a variety of iPhones, iPads, and Samsung Galaxy phones for you to choose from. Each device is fully inspected, backed by a 30-day return policy, and sold without any carrier contract. You can go to gazelle.com and see what your old device is worth as well as check out their selection of certified pre-owned devices today. Gazelle also offers financing. You can provide some basic information to get instantly approved and choose to pay for your device over 3, 6, or 12 months. They also make payments easy via bank transfer, check, credit, or debit card. They also offer a warranty that helps cover accidental water damage, cracked screens, hardware defects, and more. And help is available 24-7 to help process claims and returns. There are several benefits of buying pre-owned devices from Gazelle. Their devices are available in good and excellent condition. Good condition shows some gentle signs of wear and tear, but are offered to consumers at great prices on wonderful devices. And all of their devices have been put in, under a rigorous 30-point inspection process, ensuring that they are in great working order. Devices purchased from Gazelle are available to support all the major carriers like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. And if you decide to trade your phone into Gazelle, all offers are free. You can simply go online to gazelle.com, give them a little information about your gadget, and find out what it's worth. Just answer a few easy questions to get your instant price quote. Payments are fast. You can either get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit into your PayPal account. So give life to your new and used electronics 
trade them in for cash, or buy a certified pre-owned device from gazelle.com today. To get started, just visit gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, and when you do, please make sure that you list Mac Power users in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So thanks to Gazelle for their continued support of the show. So I know you're um, a user of of One Password, and you recently switched over to One Password for families. How how is that going? And David, I don't know if you have yet. Be, I I have not because I don't have one. I don't have a family to share One Password with, which is kind of sad. You can get, you a, get an account for your Batlith. I mean, it, I could. It yes, is, it is a loving family member. <laughs> I mean, I do have a family, but they have their own one password thing and they don't want me to be any part of that. They're like, yeah. no, you just stay over there and do your own thing. We don't want you up in our passwords. Oh, no, see, I'm, I'm in a completely different situation. Uh, I've, I've got my mother is has a vault in my one password uh, thing because I'm trying to teach her the ways of secure, unique, hear that mother, unique passwords. Um but one password for family. I haven't signed up for anything so fast uh, in a long time. Uh, it has just been a fantastic app. Now you have to remember, it's myself and my wife and my son. So there's three of us. We each have an iPhone. We each have an iPad. Uh, my son now has his own Mac. So I've got all my Macs, and my son has his Mac. To be able to control all of that in one central place, oh, heaven sent. And for five bucks, um, you, I couldn't beat that deal with a stick. Yeah. It, it, you, know, it, you know, every time subscriptions come up, people get nervous. But my question is always, you know, what is the value to you? I mean, it, 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 it's easy to get really, uh, you know, angry about paying subscriptions. But then you think about, well, this is a cup of coffee, in essence, a month to have your entire family with secure passwords and the ability to share. Um, I haven't implemented it yet. I have this problem lately, TJ, where I feel like I'm trying to carry a five gallons of 10 gallons of water in a five gallon bucket in terms of my time, but <laughs> I know the feeling. I'm yep. making changes and I'm getting closer. And that is really high on my list because my wife is a total believer. And, you know, we bought her versions of the software years ago, but I need to get my kids on it. And I think I have a, a window to do this. You know, like one of them's in college already. I need to get her like using this stuff now before she runs out into the world and starts using terrible passwords. So uh, I'm very proud. My, my son memorized his iCloud password, which was randomly generated uh, from wow. one password. He, he took it as a point of pride, uh, but uh, no, it, it's been fabulous. And you know, and you're talking about subscriptions and I know that that's always an issue. One of the, I think great things that they did in this was they made it completely optional. Yeah. Uh, but when I looked at, you know, four of us, uh, you know, including my mother, and the price of the apps and everything like that for me it it was a it was a cheap amount of money plus you get a web interface to one password which i know people have wanted you know for a long time too and and that's you know worth something to me yeah my yeah. time is worth something to me and i'm willing to pay for it now we were having a conversation offline which is probably a good conversation to have on the show now for the benefit of our listeners uh, speaking about memorizing passwords uh, we there's this delicate balance to walk between you know memorizing certain passwords, because I believe firmly there are certain passwords that you need to memorize because, uh, you, you know, you have to be able to get access to certain things. And then which ones do you don't? Because unless you, you've you got superhuman memorization abilities, like clearly your son does, uh, it, it's going to be very difficult to memorize one of these really crazy, long, completely off the wall, one password generated passwords. 
Um, now, I will say that I'm a really big fan of the random word passwords that they've started generating because those basically what they do is they take words and they they take words that are completely nonsensical, but actual words, and they put them together in nonsensical sequences. And so those are at least easier to remember. Uh, but a question is, you know, which passwords do you memorize and which do you don't? And I guess the way that I've always looked at this is I need to be able to memorize enough passwords and I need to know the passwords such that if I am traveling, if I am not at home, if I am completely out away from my element and I have to go buy off the shelf a completely new bare device, what do I need to know to be able to get that device set up? and my stuff to start, and basically to get one password on that device, which would basically mean, because I keep one password in iCloud, I need to be able to get my logged into my device with my iCloud password. And so really, that's only one. If you keep one password in Dropbox, oh, and my one password password, if you keep one password in Dropbox, then you're going to have to be able to get your iCloud password to restore your stuff and your Dropbox password. Um, and obviously your computer password too, but... So that's kind of the way that I think about it. I mean, what do you guys do? Well, and before I switched to one password for families, that's what I I had moved um, my one password stuff into iCloud for that exact same reason that I wanted all in the same place. And it's hard to tell these things, but in my experience, the sync seemed a little faster when I was doing it on iCloud instead of Dropbox. And and I know that that was. Um, that it seemed to be a noticeable difference for me. Um, but that's one of the passwords, obviously. Um, one, one password, the master password, iCloud, and then Dropbox is uh, another one that I've memorized. But I, I've been wondering about my email password because everything's controlled by my email. And, you know, should anything ever happen to that, uh, I'd be in, I'd be in big trouble. But, everything's stored in one password. So unless one password gets completely obliterated off all of my devices, which seems highly unlikely, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm good with that. And I'm using two factor pretty much anywhere I can. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use two factor authentication in iCloud? I just turned it on yesterday. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that you was, should. That was the last holdout. And I read a story and I tried to find the link before the show, but I read a story about a guy who, and this was always my fear, somebody guessed his iCloud password and wiped all of his devices remotely. Well, we just, oh, well, that, we talked about some things that happened. And in this case, it was like a malicious ex who knew knew or knew enough about him to get the iCloud password. Yeah, I, I heard that on the live show, but this was a, a different story. And I think the two of them combined was like enough to, to get me scared straight into... Uh, into two factor, but but here's a question: If you've got two factor, does that mean that that you could maybe use a password that for you is a little easier to memorize because you don't have to worry about all of that security being laid just on the password? Or do you still use a completely random one password generated password for that? I am. Um, I still use a a complex password. Yeah, I would. I would say I use a complex password, but not a completely random. Password does that? I mean, well, I mean, it would be random. Something strangers. you can memorize. Something I can memorize. Yes. Okay. Um, and and we've had a lot of people um, talk about. Well, isn't two factor authentication a problem if you're somewhere where you don't have internet access or if you're on a plane? And I guess it. Yeah, it can be if you if you can't get a text message or if you can't get into your two factor authentication app. 
I, I guess the thing that I think about is, though, I, I realize that there are people who fly every week for, for business or for other reasons. But how often is that really a big deal? Yeah, that, that's a that's a false flag. And because if you, most of my two, almost all of my two password, my two factor passwords are stored in one password. So I could get that on a plane or anywhere else I was. It's only the it's only the few that rely on text messages. It wouldn't. And and, and really, I, I I don't imagine that really comes up as often as a real life scenario as it does as a theoretical argument against it. Well, typically you're. You're only putting it in devices that you haven't authenticated in a while. Exactly. Now, another thing with iCloud two-factor authentication is it's also going to require you to come up with one-time passwords for third-party apps. Um, uh, I'm in the midst of testing out. We're going to do a future show on third-party iOS mail apps. So I've got like six of them running on my iPad right now. I thought we already did a show on that. No, we didn't get there. We got we got hung okay. up on the Mac. Um by uh, the way, Federico Katie, and 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 Fraser just beat you to it. They just oh, put they? out an episode of Canvas today oh, that had that. <laughs> Those guys snooze, you lose. Yeah, but I do have opinions. I'll have to listen to see what they said. But, but I definitely have some definite opinions on it. But but one of the things I discovered in setting up all these apps a month or so ago is that um, with iCloud, I have to go onto I think it's AppleID.Apple.com, and you have to go and create a a password, a separate password for every time you want to use it in a third party app which actually makes a lot of sense. That way these third parties aren't getting my, you know, the goods on my real uh, password. I will, although I would presume that it's done in a way they couldn't see it anyway, but um, it, it does add a degree of complexity as you, you bring these things in. But in my mind, it is completely worth it when you hear the horror stories that happens when people don't have two factor authentication turned on. Yeah. It, it's a scary world. And you know, the, it used to be that you thought, well, I'm not enough of a target in order for anyone to want to do any damage. But, you know, there are people out there who just they see it as sport and all it takes is one person to decide that, you know, you're interesting enough to them. Uh, and, and who knows? Uh, but uh, and Katie, I think you said this uh, on the live show, but I'm going to reiterate it. You know, if you've had any kind of a breakup or situation like that, I know way too many people who their exes were getting into their email, you know, after they were split up and it, it, it doesn't end well. So change those passwords and, and set up two factor. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if your spouse doesn't like the fact that they can't get into your email, but uh, that may be a conversation to have to, as to why they think they need to do that. I am. Um, I, I have a rule that every time we have one of those really long, awkward silences on our show and, and Katie sounds like she wants to murder me. I, I change all my passwords. That's my rule. <laughs> You're changing your passwords a lot, David. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's so much murder as it's it's the it's the shaking of the head and maybe the facepalm that uh, I yeah. think was mo most prevalent when you bought your second iPad Pro. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, good, hope you good change times. passwords after that show. Good times. Um, <laughs> so uh, you want to talk a little bit? Uh, we we have some news, some stuff you're up to, but we also have. Um, uh, I, I just want to talk a little bit about TJ the preacher. And um, and tell us a little bit, because I know what a nerd you are and and I'm sure that you've got some interesting workflows. Uh, you're giving a presentation once a week. Not only do you plan the presentation, you also distribute it on the Internet. Yeah, At least once a week, sometimes more often. Yeah, yeah talk, sometimes more often. Talk to us about that. 
Well, yeah, it was. Uh, it took me a while to start thinking of it that way. But uh, my my brother uh, Mike, hi Mike, uh, is a writer, and uh, you know he puts out books, and and he's put out several. But you know, I, it struck me that I have a hard and fast deadline every Sunday morning at ten thirty, whether I'm ready or not. My presentation has to go live. Uh, th- there's no rescheduling it. There's no hey, you know, I, I didn't feel up to it this week. Th- this is the thing. Uh, and as far as the, you know, there's processes for getting there and there's processes for once you're in there. Uh, I've got a couple of Mac apps that are also iOS apps, Logos and Accordance that I use uh, extensively in my preparation. I mentioned my keyboard maestro thing earlier for getting my articles. Uh, I'm doing a ton of reading of lots of PDFs on my uh, iPad Pro and marking them up with the Apple Pencil, which is fun. Um, it's it's almost too much fun. But uh, and then, you know, it's a matter of pulling these things together and being able to copy and paste, you know, from a, a PDF into a uh, document and then making it into a presentation and then delivering it. Um, but I also use it for things like weddings and funerals. Um, usually when I'm preaching, I'm not using a manuscript up there. I've, pre- I've prepared it. I've prepared myself, but I'm doing my presentation from memory basically. But for weddings and funerals, you, you don't wing those, um, because there's some very specific things that need to be said at very specific times. And for those I'm using my iPad, uh, I'm, you know, using those, I'm, I'm making sure that I've got all the, the information that I want. So, so just let me interrupt for a second. When you're standing up and you're using your iPad as your notes, what app are you looking in at your notes? Uh, usually what I've done is I have, I've done everything. I've made my document on a Mac. I've turned it into a PDF. I've saved that PDF to Dropbox. And then I'm just viewing the PDF in Dropbox itself because that gives me the most viewable area. I was doing it in pages, but then I would tap it on pages and pages would bring up the keyboard because I thought I wanted to type something. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just want a PDF that I can view. Now, do you, you like, do you, you bring the pencil into this? Is it like you're preparing? Like I, I have done things, similar things in the past where I will actually, now I will go with the pencil and even circle and highlight certain things. Uh, so when I'm standing, it's easier for me to kind of hone in on what I need. Have you tried anything I, like that? I, I do I do that sort of thing mostly with fonts. Um, I'm I'm a big believer in not only making the font big enough that if I drop and break my glasses, I'll still be able to see, uh, but also I'll you know change font sizes or margins or things like that. Uh, might even get crazy and throw in a different color or something like that. You know, scandalous. No, I, oh, <laughs> wow, look out! He's getting, TJ's getting crazy. Um, the uh, now there's going to be people listening who are salespeople, maybe even also preachers or lawyers or whoever who said no wait you just said salespeople and preachers are you trying to lump us together here <laughs> we're all selling something tj <laughs> we're all selling something but the uh, I, I i have to tell you the story now okay uh, uh, my, my dad uh, shortly before he died was in the hospital and i i was waiting to go into the room and i heard him talking to the nurse and my father had a great sense of humor but you had to know him to understand that he was joking and the nurse asked him what had brought him to the area. Cause we live in a really fairly remote part of, of Ohio. <laughs> and, uh, she said, well, what brought you to, uh, to Ohio? And he said, uh, my son is in sales. <laughs> and I always laugh. <laughs> and I laughed at that because I thought, you know, uh, I might be in sales, but a lot of people think I'm in management, but I don't get to do management. 
<laughs> I, uh, my, uh, I was an altar boy and, uh, I was told by a priest very early that he never saved a single soul after 20 minutes. <laughs> he thought about it in terms of sales. I know. And I, I've never forgot that. And I would try to keep my presentation short as a result of that, that one statement. Um, uh, but I any, remember that the, either way, the, um, uh, so there's going to be people listening who, who stand in front of other people and talk and they're nerds. Cause they're listening to the Mac power users. And I'm sure a lot of them have thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this with my iPad? But then part of them's like, what if the screen turns off? What if I accidentally turn the page? You know, the, the, you know, the terrible things that could happen when you put down the analog and pick up the digital. Um, have you taken any kinds of steps, uh, to make sure that that doesn't become a problem for you? Well, you know, first of all, it's a matter of, of realizing that, that bad things can happen when you have paper. Uh, I stood up at in my first church at a seminary to give my first sermon after I'd been there, uh, the Gainesville Presbyterian Church, for about three months. I stood up, I got up to the um, pulpit and realized that the first page of my sermon was missing. Um, I don't have Oops. that problem with my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but at any rate, I've taken some precautions. Um, I will print out a copy of my uh, my presentation, and I'll usually either have that in a in a folder or you know fold it up in my pocket or something like that. You know, if I happen to you know trip and drop my iPad and it shatters all over the place, or you know sometimes I, I get somewhere and it just doesn't seem like maybe an iPad is the appropriate device. Uh, if it seems like it's going to be awkward to have it out in front of people. Um, but other than that, yeah. so like when you're, when you're doing a wedding and, uh, and, and you say, please lay your rings on the, on the iPad so I can (laughs) bless them. (laughs) I mean, how does that work? They're they're just putting it in my hand. They're not actually laying it on the iPad. uh, Because because when I I get married, I want to lay my rings on the iPad. Well, I, I I can I request that, that? you know, if if you need a nerd pastor, let me know. I, 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 uh, I've been to Florida before and I know my way around a little bit, but, uh, uh, no, you know, and it's been funny cause I, I really thought that people would be more uncomfortable with it, but really lots of them expect it. I think it's just one of these things now that so many people have them and maybe in 2011, it would have been, you know, weird, but now, you know, people are just like, Oh, look, the pastor's got a tablet. Of course he's got a tablet. I, I can yeah. tell you one of the things I do is when I'm in front of a judge or a jury or something that I don't want to have anything go wrong is I actually turn off the auto sleep or I put it, I extend it out to a great yeah. amount of time because, uh, you know, I ramble sometimes you would never know that <laughs> listening to the show, but believe it or not, that happens once in a while. And, and so I could get on a point and then start connecting with the, the audience somehow on it and then look down and my screen is black and, then, you know, it's easier now that you've got the, um, the the touch ID to get back into it. But, you know, you may not, you know, you may reopen it and not be on your desk, you know, be on your, uh, not be in your app anymore. And then you've got a fiddle. So uh, I think leaving the power on, you know, is a good idea. So you can turn off the, uh, the feature where it automatically locks after two minutes. You can extend it out. I believe 15 minutes is the maximum. I have to look to see. Uh, or you can have it where it just doesn't turn off. And there's nothing wrong with that for a day to do that. Right. And if the if the iPad itself is a problem because you feel like it's distracting, you can you can get a case. Like I'm thinking specifically something like the book book case that the 12 South does. Yeah. You know, where I mean, from a distance, it's not going to look like an iPad. Yeah. I often wonder how many people just think I've got a, a Bible or something in my hand because I do have a I have had in the past a, a black case that I've uh, that I've had my iPad in. 
Um, and so your your sermons are also podcasted a little. And so I, I know we have a, a lot of preachers who podcast their sermons. And th- th- podcasting when you're standing in front of an audience, uh, you know, of a couple of hundred people and, and recording your words and in front of a live audience and not necessarily in the most ideal acoustic conditions is probably a very different thing than what David and I do every week and probably a lot more challenging. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm fortunate in, in one aspect. Uh, we have a, a system, our sound system at the church uh, records directly to a CD. Um, it would be great. Well, well it, what? <laughs> I know. It would be great if it recorded to like a thumb drive or something. But when I arrived, it was recording to a tape. So I still feel like we're doing better. <laughs> Uh, I, I just can't even imagine recording to a CD. I mean, you would think it would be easier for it to record to some kind of just digital hard drive something. Anyway, anyway okay. Well, the, the the equipment we got now is probably about 10 years old. So that's, uh, you know, if the, if I'm still here when they're renovating the next time, we'll definitely do that. But um, and, and I've got a headset mic, um, which the, the music director refers to as my Madonna mic, even though I wish he wouldn't. Um, oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> and uh the recording quality is pretty good we have uh worked with the sound system and, and he's got the settings all so that it picks me up pretty well but it's a, a headset mic that comes you know over the ear and and down you know next to my mouth so it picks me up pretty well i've got a big mouth so that you know helps i i don't have any problem projecting uh but i actually podcast it afterwards i take the cd i edit down to the sermon uh, and I just started doing transcripts on Easter Sunday. I started doing transcripts as well um, with the funnily named Rev, R-A-V dot com, which isn't a religious thing. I, I think it's just transcriptions. But uh, uh, and then I have to listen to myself. You know, I, I'm sure you guys listen to your podcast, but I, I'm listening as I'm reading a document that shows me what I actually said instead of what I thought I said. And boy, that can be painful. Yeah, you said it, brother. <laughs> But that's okay. Uh, I have TJ I, to tell me when I get wrong. I'd be tweaking the transcript a little bit. <laughs> uh, Katie, I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. I said I'd, I'd tweak the transcript a little bit. I'm like, yeah, that didn't quite land well. We'll take that out. <laughs> that out. Well, um, I, I do. When I'm, when I'm reading the transcript, I'm also listening to the audio file in uh, Fission, which is the audio editor. So I may have on occasion cut out a sentence or a word if I said the wrong. Like I said Judas once when I meant Jesus, and that's kind of a big difference. That's kind of a big difference, yeah. yeah. Now, do you, do you edit the podcast um, before you send it off for transcription? And I know this is kind of a new thing. Like, do you edit first to get it tight and then send it off for transcription? Or do you just kind of, does the having the transcription help you with the editing? No, I'm, I'm the first thing I do is I edit it down uh, basically because you're paying per minute for the transcription. So you definitely want to have it, you know, tight. Um, like I don't have them transcribe the reading because I've got the transcript of the reading from this thing called the Bible. Um, and so I, I do that first, and then I'm, I email that off Sunday afternoon, and usually they have it back to me within a couple of hours. And so then I put the rest of it up. Um, I go through, I listen to it, make sure the transcript's correct. They do a really, really good job of it, and much faster than I could ever do it myself. Um, so it's well worth the cost uh, for that. I'm sorry, did I answer your question there? Yeah, no, I think you did, for sure. Okay. And then, and then you post it all. 
Well, yeah. Well, I, I've actually come up with three copies of it. The first one has to be 30 minutes long. And the reason it has to be 30 minutes long is because the following week on the radio, um, there's a member of the congregation who owns a radio station. And so we have a half an hour block. So I go through and I get my sermon, which is usually about 20 minutes. I, I too, try not to go past 20 minutes. Uh, and then I'll take out some of the other, you know, songs or things like that and get that to 30 minutes. I've got one that goes to Rev.com. And then I've got the one that goes up on the website, which is the one that I'll work with after the Rev.com transcript comes back, because that one does have the reading in it and things like that. And so what I'm doing there is I'm running it through Fission, um, to the audio editor from Rogue Amoeba, which is one of my favorite named companies. Yeah. Uh, then I'm running it through Audacity, and I'm running the uh, Truncate Silence to get out the you know pauses in between words. And you'd be amazed a 20-minute a sermon can get down to a 16-minute sermon without actually editing any of your words and still have, you know, still sound natural. And then I use the uh, compressor to boost up the sound, especially for the radio. Uh, it's an AM station, so I want to make sure we've got a nice, loud, clear signal. Uh, and then I convert it all to MP3 and upload it to my Mac Mini Colo. And then I send out the links to the various people. And I post the uh, audio and the uh, transcript to the church's website, which is actually run on Tumblr. And Tumblr's got a nice interface there for uh, embedded audio. See, that to me sounds like a very a process that you could, that final push where you're sending out copies, sending emails, uploading it. That is like a great keyboard maestro problem to solve where you push one button and a lot of that stuff just happens. I've got several, I've got several shell scripts that do most of the heavy lifting for me. Yeah. And that's a good example of the kinds of stuff you can do if you go a little deeper with this automation. I mean, everybody's got things like that. Maybe it's not related to a podcast. Maybe it's related to photos or reports or whatever. But there, there's a lot of ways you can automate that stuff. So it it sounds like your podcast is primarily directed towards your, your congregation. Do you do anything to promote that to the to the outside world? Well, I've got a group of uh, online friends who refer to me as the, the pastor to the Internet. Um, right. I, I am at least to them. And so I'll share that to them. I'll post it. Uh, you know, I post a link usually to my Twitter feed and, uh, there's a Slack channel where, where a bunch of us hang out and I'll post it there. And, um, <laughs> I, my mom listens to it, you know, <laughs> so, uh, she just recently got an iPhone. And so I set it up so that she can, you know, it automatically downloads to her podcast app. And, you know, my mom never listened to my podcast. <laughs> Well, I don't. My, my mom doesn't it. listen to us either. Well, my, my my sermon's only twenty minutes, and it goes automatically to her phone. I know she listens to it at least occasionally, but uh, you know, I get feedback something along the lines of, "Oh, it's so nice to hear your voice." So. There you go. <laughs> All right, listen. Let's take a break for a final sponsor, and then I want to talk about TJ's secret project that we're going to be talking about for the first time here on the show. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password. TJ is not the only person that loves 1Password. We hear all the time from MacPow users, listeners that are happy 1Password users. And who wouldn't be? In today's world, security is something you really have to take seriously. Everywhere you go, they want a new password, and it's so tempting to use the same password over and over again. But when you do that, you're going to make it easy for the bad guys to get into your data, because somebody inevitably is going to compromise you. Sadly, it doesn't matter if you do everything right because the people you're giving your password to 
are always under attack and you never know when your data is going to get compromised. If you use the same password in multiple places and the bad guys get your password at one place, they get it at all the other places too. 1Password solves that problem and makes secure passwords that can be different and unique for every website or service that you use. Just as important, 1Password brings convenience to the table, allowing you to have secure passwords plus convenience of easily getting access to them. In my opinion, this makes 1Password the best-in-class solution for solving this problem, but that doesn't stop the gang at 1Password from continuing to push the bar forward. They just released 1Password version 6.4 for iOS, and it has several nice updates. My favorite is reboot-resistant Touch ID. It used to be if you rebooted your phone, then you had to go back and put your master password in all over again. Not anymore. Now after reboot, you can use Touch ID to reactivate 1Password without having to put in your master password. If you don't like this, you can change it in settings, but I love this new feature. They've also added additional features like making it easy to import data and making that first run experience with families and teams a lot easier. Recently, I had to go to the bank and make some changes to my account, and the bank gave me all these forms, and they said, you'll have to take this home to get all your information and then bring it back. And instead of doing that, I just opened up my phone, opened up 1Password, unlocked it with my thumb, and got access to all the important data I needed. I was able to fill it out right there, and they were kind of surprised at how easily I was able to do it. With an application like 1Password, it makes it so much easier for you to carry confidential and important data in your pocket. 1Password effectively builds a second wall of security around your most important data on your iPhone and iPad, guarded by some of the smartest people I know at 1Password. They've got subscription plans, or you can just buy the software outright. If you've been waiting to get on board with 1Password, now's the time. We've got a link in the show notes that takes you to a special website so they know you come from the Mac Power users. Please use that link and check it out. Thanks, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. So you've got a secret? Oh, I have many. Okay. <laughs> but we're only going to talk about one of them. All right. Well, what uh, maybe we could talk about two. What else you got now? <laughs> Pastors don't have secrets, don't you know? Uh, my secret, again, you know, it's, it's funny. We started the show with complaints and grievances, and I think we're going to end on something like that, too, because uh, part of my complaints and grievances is about the Mac App Store. And I know we could spend a lot of time on that, but... What's the good part of the Mac App Store is that apps are easy to download, easy to install, and easy to update. Well, I wanted that for all of my applications and not just the ones that I get through the Mac App Store. And so I came up with, I've actually been working on this for a long time, but I'm, I, I think I'm finally ready to, to announce it. And uh, I'll write about it probably next week at this point on Mac Stories uh, to try to coordinate with the release of the show. But I came up with a bunch of shell scripts that will download, install, and keep up to date uh, applications that are available outside the Mac App Store. Now, some of these are available, like, for example, 1Password. You can get it at the Mac App Store, or you can get it outside the Mac App Store. But my idea was, if, it's, if I get it outside the Mac App Store, which is my preference, then I don't want to feel like I'm losing out anything. So this script will just automatically run. It will check to see if there's a new version. If there's a new version, it'll download it. It'll unpack it. It'll put it into place. And I'll never know that it happened. So ideally, I've written something that I should never notice. Interesting. And and so did you try to make this as one script to handle, you know, one to rule them all? Or how is it 
How's it set up? That was version 1.0 was this idea that I was going to write this massive script that was going to contain every possibility. And I did that for about six months. And I had so many conditionals in there and so many edge cases that I finally gave up. And I just wrote I just wrote one script per app now. And as of today, May 11th, as we record this, I've hit 100 applications, which I'm kind of proud of. Yeah, nice. And it's easier to update. So if one of them needs a tweak, you don't have to go in and rebuild everything. Exactly. And if something changes on one, I don't have to worry that a change is going to screw up something else that I wasn't aware of. What scripting language are you doing this in? Uh, I'm using uh, Z Shell, ZSH, which comes with every Mac. And one of the big features of this, at least to me, is that all of these scripts will work on any Mac that doesn't have any special uh, software installed. You don't have to have anything other than a fresh out-of-the-box Mac. Download one of these scripts and you can install, um, let's see, one password. You can install Coda. You can install GitHub. You can install Chrome. Uh, you know, just pretty much... I. I tr- I went through and I did every application that I use. And then starting today, uh, earlier on Twitter, I started soliciting for, hey, what do you think are popular applications that aren't available on the Mac App Store or also available on the Mac App Store, but also direct? And I'm going to be looking to add more of those as time goes on. Now, now, are these separate, I guess, mini apps for each app you want to run the auto updating on or explain how we would implement this? Okay, so w- what what I do is I have a bunch of scripts, and each script controls a different application. But then what I have is one script that basically, they're all named similarly. They all start with the letters D and I for download and install. It wasn't very creative, but it's what I came up with. And uh, I've just got a, a thing that runs once an hour uh, on my Mac, and it runs all of these scripts. It takes less than, probably less than, if if none of the apps need an update, I can check a hundred apps in probably less than two minutes. Nice. And that one script is, is checking all of them. It's using the same, most apps use uh, sparkle, which you've probably heard of. Yeah. It's been very uh, kind of nefarious lately. Well, not nefarious, but it's been uh, a little famous lately. Cause there were some problems. Yeah, there been with some it. issues. Yeah. Well, there were some issues, but one of the things that happened with that is that if you were, if you weren't using the most up-to-date version of it, that was, I think, what got people into problems. So we've had a lot of apps that have updated. But you remember the the problem they had with transmission, where if you went to the website and downloaded the app, you could get malware. If you had used their Sparkle feed, you wouldn't have gotten it. If you had used my script, you wouldn't have gotten that malware because it was signed and everything through their, their feed that way that you wouldn't have gotten through the website. So the bad guys exact- didn't hijack that part of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... My scripts are using the official um, RSS feeds that uh, Sparkle basically is an RSS feed uh, underneath it all. My apps use that, so they're not doing anything nefarious. They're not doing anything that that the developers of this aren't going to like, I don't think. Um, It should cause very little, you know, noticeable hit on their website. It's... It's easier for my script to do this than if I went in a regular web browser and did it. Yeah. And it's automated in the background. I mean, just exactly. think, think about that. I mean, the show's had a lot of automation discussion, but all this stuff takes your time. I mean, you could be out, you know, playing with your kids or growing your roses or taking a nap or watching Doctor Who, or you could be updating your apps. And and when you start getting apps like this to, to do this, that's nice. 
Well, and one thing that I, I've never liked about Sparkle is that even if that app uses Sparkle, you think to yourself, well, what do I need the script for? I can just use Sparkle. Sparkle checks to see if there's a new app, if there's a new update for your app when you first launch it. Well, when you first launch the app, you've probably got an idea. You want to do something. You want to, you know, get in and use it. You don't want the thing popping up in front of you and saying, hey, there's an update. Do you want to do that? Because like you said, it, it even that automated part of it, you know, it takes some brain power. It takes a few minutes. You've got to wait for it to download. You've got to wait for it to quit. You've got to wait for it to restart. What if that just happened like every night at 3 a.m.? Or what if it happened, you know, once an hour and would work even if, you know, you weren't running that application right now at all? Next time you launch it, you may think, gosh, this app hasn't been updated in ages. Well, maybe it was updated today and you just didn't have to know about it. So so you did this for 100 apps and I'm sure a lot of them were pretty simple. You know, checking the feed, is anything new, implement it. Um, I bet there were a couple, though, that were really a challenge. Any, any oh, more yes. stories to share? Um, well, there, <laughs> there are a couple of them that just refuse to tell me where the RSS feeds are. Now, I haven't like gone to the developers and asked them, but it's one of these things where like I get it in my head that I'm going to solve this problem. And there have just been a couple, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, but Basically, where I've got an application that will check to see what URLs they're trying to check. And if they use HTTPS, which more of them are doing now, it can be harder to track them down. And, and you know, some of them, I just look at their at the downloads page and I, I just sort of scrape the HTML and, and go, OK, well, here's the version number that they've published as their latest version. Actually, you know what? Here's the ironic thing. You know which one gives, has given me the most trouble? Keyboard Maestro. <laughs> there's, there's no RSS feed that I can find for Keyboard Maestro. I know there has to be one, but I just and I haven't asked Peter about it either. So maybe after the show airs, I'll, I'll send him a note and see if he can help me out. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so what's the future for this script? What do you plan to do with it? Are you going to package it up and make it an app at some point that, that someone can maybe throw you a little money for? Or are you going to keep it as a script or what are your thoughts? Are you going to make it available or is it just going to be TJ's super secret little project? Uh, it is up and available publicly on GitHub right now at my TJ Luoma at github.com slash TJ Luoma slash DI. It's D as in David and I as in Ivan. I can't remember what it's supposed to be. Icicle. Um, anybody is welcome to use this or change it to make it their own thing. I'm, I'm not looking to make any money off this. I would love it if somebody wants to try to, you know, build some kind of a more friendly wrapper around this. You know, there is something called Mac Update Desktop, which they sell for about 20. Uh, they sell a subscription, I think, for about $20 a year, $40 a year, um, which is fine. But again, this was one of these things that started as a little itch uh, and I kept scratching and scratching. And all of a sudden I had 100 scripts written. Um, I'm really hoping that somebody who likes this project is going to come along and say, hey, I see you're doing this part over here. How about if I do this part over there and, you know, we can put a nice little front end on it and, you know, we'll just give this away as a nice thing to do for the community. That's my hope. Well, maybe we'll find you someone through the show. That would be awesome. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a jam-packed show. Uh, kind of a little potpourri, as, as David put it earlier, of, of different things. But I think we, we've covered a lot of topics. So, TJ, I want to thank you for for coming back on a Mac power users. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from you. <laughs> It'll be funny if I find mistakes in my own episode, but uh, yeah. if I do, we, I will we, certainly let you know. 
Oh, well, uh, why don't you let people know? I know you mentioned you've been writing on Mac stories. Why don't you let people know where they can find you so we can throw links to all of that in the show notes? Sure. Uh, well, MacStories.net uh, is where you'll find most of my, my significant Mac writing. Uh, I've still maintained my own personal site at rhymeswithdiploma.com, or you can just go to luo.ma. They both go to the same place. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at TJ Luoma, L-U-O-M-A. Perfect. Uh, and we'll have links to everything that we've talked about in this episode in our, our show notes as well. Uh, and we want to thank our sponsors for this episode, FreshBooks, MacPaw, Gazelle, and 1Password. You can contact us uh, through our website. Uh, that's relay.fm slash MPU. Or you can send us a note through Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. Be sure to use that hashtag AskMPU if you have a question for us. I'm Katie Floyd, and David's Max Sparky. And we will see you all next week.